When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made my haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Brantley. Well, for the past few weeks during the season of Epiphany, we have been looking at the, the book of Jonah, which is this small, quirky book in the Hebrew Scriptures, and we're, we're, we're beginning to land the plane. We'll finish it out next week. But um, as we talk about this um, next uh, section, this final chapter, here's how I wanted to set it up. I, I don't know if you, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of the name uh, M. Night Shyamalan. Don't fully know if I'm pronouncing that name right, but I think I'm in the ballpark. M. Night Shyamalan, uh, famous movie director. He did Signs, did The Sixth Sense, did The Village, he's done some other stuff, Glass, things like that. But this is a um, guy that I think in the late 90s, early 2000s got famous by using this particular narrative plot device that he used in almost all of his movies, at least back then, which was the, the kind of the plot twist, the big kind of shocker surprise ending. And the, and the way that it worked was fascinating is that you would watch these movies and you didn't realize it, but you were making assumptions the whole time that you were watching it. And you were understanding the story based off of those hidden assumptions. And then you get to the end of the movie and he would do some crazy twist and, and, and show you that your assumptions had actually been false. and You'd actually totally misunderstood the movie. And it's only when you have this new information that comes at the end can you go back and then, and then watch the whole thing and realize, oh, okay, that's, that's why that happened there or whatever. So you get to the end of some of these movies and you see that, oh, the, the, the kid can see dead people. And so he's been talking to somebody that you thought was alive throughout the whole movie, but no, the, even that person was dead. Or you get to the end of the movie and you, you've made the assumption that this whole thing was set in like the 1600s in this primitive kind of like in the, in the woods. And then you get to the end of the movie and you realize, oh my goodness, no, this, is, this movie was actually set in modern day. It's just this weird group of people out in the woods. And so there's all of these kind of plot twists. Well, I bring that up because Jonah is the M. Night Shyamalan story of the Bible. There's, uh, there's this massive plot twist in it. And, and here's what I mean. Um, the story begins by God coming to this guy named Jonah and saying, hey, I want you to go and preach to this foreign city so that they might turn and receive my compassion. But Jonah runs. He flees in the opposite direction. And you probably made an assumption. You said, okay, I, I think I understand why he's running because Nineveh, the city that he was called to go to, it was a terrorist state. It was just massively brutal, terrifying place to be. And so you would think, okay, he's running because he's scared. He didn't want to go there. They're going to kill him. So he flees, and after this long ordeal, he eventually does what God asked him to do. And he marches right into the middle of the city of Nineveh, and he preaches the worst sermon in the history of uh, sermons. And not only does everybody not kill him, they all believe his message. 
And they all repent. It was the most successful missionary campaign of all time. And rather than the story ending there, at the end of chapter 3, which is you would think, if that's why he was running, then the, the story should just conclude. They all lived happily ever after. They're all wrapped up in a bow. The end. But it doesn't end there. We get a whole another chapter after that. And chapter 4 is the plot twist. Because here's, what we, here's where we find Jonah. Rather than Jonah celebrating and being grateful for this incredible act of God, he's fuming. He's raging. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, but it, and the it there is referring to God being gracious to save the people of Nineveh, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. In fact, the word angry there, you could also translate it as evil, meaning that Jonah saw what God did as evil. So it's a great evil to him that God would be gracious to these people. Now, here's this, here, this is the shocker. This is the plot twist. Why in the world is Jonah so angry? Well, um, I think we need this plot twist chapter because it reveals something to us. It reveals something about us, and it reveals something about God. So I just want to very briefly explore those two ideas with you for our time this morning. What does this reveal about us? What does this reveal about God? First, what does this reveal about us? Well, I think what's fascinating in this little section is that you finally get the real reason why Jonah ran away in the first place. And he tells you, look at verse 2. He prays, he says, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Okay, why? Why did you flee to Tarshish? He tells you, for I knew that you are a gracious God. You can hear his tone. I knew you would do something like this. I knew you would be gracious to these people. You always do this. You always spare people like this, and it drives me crazy. It sickens me that you would be gracious. So here's what we, here's what we realize. Jonah did not want these people to be spared. He wanted God to nuke them. He wanted these people to be destroyed. And, in fact, um, if you go a little bit deeper, you may not know this, um, but Jonah actually appears at another place in the Hebrew Scriptures. He shows up in 2 Kings chapter 14. And here's what we learn about Jonah there, that Jonah became a, a little bit of a kind of a national celebrity. He became a big deal because he... he instructed the, the Israelite king that the king should, should uh, fortify their borders. They need to beef up their national security. He literally got famous. His platform was literally building a wall. And uh, it, it, was, it was successful. It worked. And he became, a, he became a big deal. His whole career was based on protecting the interests of his people. He loved his country loved his people. Let's circle up the wagons, build up the wall, make this about us, and not, not have any interaction with anybody out there. Okay, keep going a step deeper. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote this amazing book called The Four Loves. It's about love, and it's famous for its chapters on friendship and sex, but there is a chapter on there. There's a section in there about patriotism, about your love for your country. And uh, he himself uh, fought, C.S. Lewis fought in World War I, and uh, he had been injured. He lost some people in combat, lost some friends in combat. And so he had a real pride of his country, real love for his country. But he begins this section on patriotism this way, and I included it in your bulletin. He writes, 
we all know now that this love becomes a demon when it becomes a god. And he's referring, of course, to Nazism, that when you love your country to such a degree that that becomes deified, if it becomes a god to you, then it becomes demonic. It becomes a, a, a terrible thing. And you can see that this is what has happened with Jonah. His love of his country, his love of his people, which is a great thing. You want him to love his people, but it has become God to him, and it is, it's corrupted him. Just look at how twisted and, and marred his soul is in this passage. He, 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 um, he is rooting for God to destroy these people. I mean, it's one thing to love your country. It's another thing to, to, to want God to destroy people. And then when God doesn't do it, look at what he says in verse 3. He says that he would rather die. I don't want to even be alive if these people are going to be alive. That's how corrupted and messed up he has gotten. Now, here's the thing, because this is what this reveals about us. Because that same operating system is inside of you and me as well where when we take good things but make them ultimate things, they become terrible things. That's one of the reasons why we have all the problems that we have, why your life and my life is, is riddled with challenges and messes, why our world is riddled with challenges and messes is because we've taken good things, but we've elevated them, we've made them ultimate things, and they've become terrible things. Patriotism is good. When it becomes a god it turns into imperialism, turns into racism. Um, having um, a love for your political party is a good thing. Being passionate about your political ideology is great. But when it becomes ultimate, it starts to twist you, and you only listen to your news from certain outlets. Uh, your political opponents are demonized and villainized. Um, uh, every issue that comes through becomes a political issue, and you, you lose your ability to be gentle. You lose your ability to be, to be open. Um, having informed opinions about COVID is a great thing. I hope that you have informed opinions about COVID. When that becomes an ultimate thing, then it's easy to villainize and demonize anybody who has a different opinion. Anybody who disagrees, you write them off as crazy or harmful or you know, whatever, and you lose your ability to be gentle. You lose your ability to be gentle and, and tender with people. Um, and even for us as a church, this is, where, this is an area that we have to be careful in because we want to love this part of our city. And loving Midtown is great until it turns into disdain for East Memphis. Uh, loving our particular theological tradition is great. It's a good thing. Until it turns into disdain for other theological traditions. But take this out of the, the ether and bring it home to you personally. What, what does this look like for you? What, what do you take and you elevate that's actually twisting you? Um, if you want to be seen as a nice person... That's a good thing. I hope you want to be seen as a nice person. When that becomes an ultimate thing, you become codependent. And you're not okay unless everybody else around you is okay with you. Having a, 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 a love or a desire for money, that's a good thing. I mean, you, money is helpful. It, it's, it's, uh, you, you can't survive without it. Uh, but when it becomes an ultimate thing, 
then uh, you become stingy, you become greedy, you become obsessive, you become compulsive, you're always comparing yourself to other people. It, here's the point. This is what this passage reveals about us. When you take good things and they become ultimate things, it, it, it becomes demonic, to quote C.S. Lewis. It becomes terrible things. This is why we have all the problems that we have. So the question is, okay, what do we do about it? What's the solution? And we have to keep going because this passage also reveals something about God. Not just showing us about us, but also showing us who God is. So let's keep going. If you, if you look at how this passage ends in verse 4, I find it really fascinating because Jonah is having a complete meltdown. He's having a colossal temper tantrum, and he's just going off on God, raging against God. And look at what God does. In verse 4, he just gently says to Jonah, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? He is inviting Jonah into a better way of being. He's saying, Jonah, are you sure this is, are you sure this is what you want? This self-righteous, self-destructive rage. You think this, this doesn't look good on you? Are you sure this is what you, you think this is good? Does it do well for you to be angry? Commentators have pointed out, and I think in a really fascinating way, the similarities between the book of Jonah and the parable of the prodigal son. If you're not familiar with that, it's a story that Jesus told in the Gospel of Luke. But the story goes like this, that there was this father that had two sons, an older brother and a younger brother. And the younger son was the, the rebel of the family. He disobeyed, he ran away, breaks all the rules, and he eventually comes back home and the father graciously welcomes him and receives him and throws a party for him. And this is what Jonah is like in the first half of the book. Jonah 1 through 2, he, he disobeys God's word, he, he breaks the rules, and he runs away. And he eventually comes back, and God graciously receives him, and God graciously welcomes him. But the parable of the prodigal son also has this older brother, and the older brother is the, the goody two-shoes. He follows all the rules. He does everything right. He stayed at home the whole time and did what the father wanted, and he obeyed. And then when the father throws this party for the younger son, he rages and he's fuming and he refuses to go into the party, which in his mind was the worst parenting decision ever made, that you would throw a party for this train wreck of my brother. All he did was say he was sorry and now you're going to throw a party for him? I've been the one that's been slaving for you this whole time. You never threw me a party. And uh, the father goes out to him and pleads with him pleads with this older brother and invites him to come into the party of grace. And that's how the story ends. And that is what Jonah is like in the second half of this book. Jonah's three and four. He's doing what God asked him to do. He's obeying God's orders. He did the thing. But then when God starts to be gracious to people that he thinks God shouldn't be gracious to, he has a meltdown. And he's angry and he's raging about it. And he refuses to come in. And what does God do in that case? He does the same thing that the father does. He goes out to him. He meets him in his anger and pleads with him to come in. Come into the party of grace. Come in. Do you do well to be angry, Jonah? Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the classic children's story, uh, the, the runaway bunny. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, it's a pretty simple story. You have a bunny who tells his mom that he wants to run away. And uh, the mother says, well, if you run away, I will run after you, for you're my little bunny. 
And so the bunny starts arguing with the mom and says, well, if you run after me, said the little bunny, I'll become a fish in a trout stream and I'll swim away from you. The mom says, well, if you become a fish in a trout stream, I'll become a fisherman and I will fish for you. And the little bunny keeps going. He says, well, if, if you become a fisherman, then I'm going to become a rock up on a mountain to get away from you. And the mom says, well, then I'll just become a mountain climber and I'll climb up the mountain so that I can be with you. And the little bunny says, well, if you do that, then I'm just going to turn into a bird and fly away from you. See, the, the little bunny's a bit of a brat in this uh, story. Uh, but then the mom says, you know, if you turn into a bird, well, I'll just turn into a nest and um, I'll just kind of be there for you when, whenever you need to kind of land and need some rest. And on and on the story goes until you eventually realize, the, the little bunny realizes, I can't outrun the love of my mother. No matter how hard I run, whatever direction, she's going to keep coming after me. So here's what he says at the end. Well, I might just as well stay where I am and be your little bunny. And so he did. The surprise ending of the book of Jonah reveals to us a God that relentlessly pursues us. In our self-destructive rebellion, he pursues us. In our self-destructive obedience and self-righteousness and entitlement and anger, he pursues us. There is nowhere that we can run to get away from a God like this. And that is a love that all of us desperately long for. That is a love that all of us desperately need. And you see it most clearly in the gospel of Jesus. Jesus is the one who came after us. Because here we are, like Jonah, looking at God and saying, I'm just going to run away from you. I don't like you. And so I'm going to run away. And here we are with our anger and our self-righteousness and all the things in our lives that we've elevated and we've made gods and it's corrupted us. And so here we are and God looks at us and says, okay, if you want to run, I will run after you. I will become a man and I will live in your place and I will die in your place and I will rise in your place so that you can see and know the full extent of my love and my compassion and my grace for you. He comes to Jonah, and he comes to you and me, and he pleads with us, and he invites us into a better way of being. Do you do, you do well to be angry? Does it do, does, is this really what you want, to elevate these things that have given you a sense of superiority and self-righteousness, and you become bitter and twisted and angry and hardened? Is that what you want? Come in to the party of grace. Because as, as Jonah says in this passage, even though he doesn't really believe it, that God really is a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Consider that an invitation for you this morning. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would confront us in our, uh, our self-righteous idolatry shake us out of uh, how we have become twisted, hardened, uh, corrupted, and bring us into the party of grace so that we might know and drink deeply of the freedom and the wonder and the joy of your kindness and of your compassion and of your relentless pursuit for people such as us. Thank you that you love us and that you love us with a love that will not let us go. And we pray all this in Jesus' name.